We're continuing today in our five-week series on the church. It's life and purpose, and here we are in week three. So we've got a couple of more uh, Sundays coming up in the series. But I mentioned last week that I, I wanted to come back and revisit something that I touched on last week, and what that was was how to identify our gifts, how to discover what it is that God has gifted us to do, and then how to really plug in with that gifting. So that's going to be our focus for our uh, time together today. And so we're going to look, first of all, at the gifts of the Spirit, and then we're going to move from there to looking at how we identify them and then how we put them uh, to use uh, within the body. So I want to read to you the same verses that we just read together a moment ago, but I want to read them from the New Living Translation this time. And as we read it from the New Living Translation, I think it just, it just clarifies it slightly for our you know, understanding today what, what it is that we're talking about when we're talking about these various gifts. So uh, Romans 12, verses six through eight from the New Living Translation says this. In his grace... God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So I, I just like the way that uh, translation reads. It just kind of makes it a little simpler, a little clearer, I think. And so here in this passage, this is one place where you have a listing of the, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, another place where we find a listing of the gifts of the Spirit is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12 last week, um, but we want to go back to the first portion of the chapter. And in verses 4 through 11, there Paul gives us another list of um, what we would also call the gifts of the Spirit. So let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. Here's what it says. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So, two passages dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. This isn't exhaustive. There are other places in the New Testament where the gifts are talked about, and we'll actually look at those uh, before we finish out the series. But I wanted to focus in on these today. And the first thing I want you to notice is that there's, there's a difference 
in these gifts in that the, the list that we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are, are very much uh, supernatural, even in the, the expression of them. They're, they're very much supernatural. Now, the Romans 12 gifts are supernatural as well, but they manifest themselves in a more natural way. So you can have a spiritual gift, but it, it shows itself quite naturally. You, you could almost say about your particular gift, you could almost say if somebody asked you, well, like, well, how did you get into doing that? Well, I don't know. It just felt natural for me to do it. So there's a, there's a natural sort of a, a way that it functions, but it, it still is a supernatural gift. Now, notice that in the first, or in the Romans 12 list, we had, for example, serving. And if you see somebody serving, you don't look at that and go, wow, that's a miracle. Look at their serving. Uh, well, some people, you might do that, actually. You might think, this is a miracle. There is a God. This person has never served anybody in their entire life, and look what they're doing now. But, you know, generally speaking, when you look and you see somebody that's engaged in service, you don't see, well, you don't say, well, well there, there's a gift of the Spirit in action. Oh, that, you, you don't sense anything supernatural, but there actually is something supernatural going on there. So there's this distinction. Now, <clears throat> back to 1 Corinthians 12 for a moment. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 12, although the, the word gift is used, there are diversities of gifts, when Paul goes on to describe the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the things that he um, speaks uh, about there, um, the faith and, and the gifts of healing and working of miracles and prophecy, he refers to them as the manifestation of the Spirit. So, but the manifestation of the Spirit. So manifestation of the Spirit means that of course, the Spirit is showing himself to be present and active through these kinds of things. So some would even argue and say, well, you shouldn't call these gifts. These are really called manifestations. But like I said, Paul, in the context, he uses the word gifts. So I think we can call them gifts. But the difference between these and the Romans 12 gifts is that these, they, they are supernatural and they manifest themselves in a more supernatural kind of a way. Now, it is my conviction that the gifts in, in 1 Corinthians 12 are not the permanent possession of any believer, but the, the potential experience of every believer. So I, I do not believe that there's a, any one person who has the gift of healing in the kind of sense that they can just go out and at will heal whoever they desire to heal. Uh, a gift like that doesn't exist. And of course, if it did exist, uh, we would all know about it. And everybody would be lined up for that you know, person to, to actually heal them. As a matter of fact, the only person that ever had a gift like that was Jesus himself. Even the apostles, as much as they had gifts of healings, uh, they expressed that there were occasions when they uh, had sought healing or prayer for healing for people that did not receive the healing. So these manifestations are not the, 
the, the permanent possession of any believer, but the possible experience of every believer. So it's possible that any one of us at any given time could be the, either the, the conduit through which the gift is flowing or the recipient of the gift. And the way these gifts work is that the Spirit manifests himself where suddenly and spontaneously a person is compelled. Uh, they, they just have a, have a word to speak. There's something that they sense like, I have to step out and do this. And what they step out and do, maybe a prophecy, for example, that proves to be the very word that God wanted to speak to either an individual or a group of people at that time. So, for example, with the gift of prophecy that's mentioned here, there's a, there's a difference between the 1 Corinthians 12 prophecy and the Romans 12 prophecy. The Romans 12 prophecy is more a proclamation of the word, like uh, preaching, where the first Corinthians prophecy is more of a spontaneous word that comes to uh, God's people at uh, a strategic moment. So let's just say, you know, you've come into church today and you've come with a big burden, you're perplexed, you really have come needing desperately uh, God to speak to you. You ever feel like that? And you, you just... You know, you, you, you desperately need God to speak to you. And um, then, you know, maybe in, in this particular case, maybe you listen, the sermon goes by, nothing happens. You're kind of like, okay, gosh, that wasn't really what I needed. And, but then you're leaving the church and you run into somebody. And, and let's say you know them and they say, you know what? I, I'm so glad I saw you. You've been on my heart and I feel like God wants to, I just feel like the Lord wants me to share this verse with you. And they share that verse with you, and that is exactly the word that you needed. You're like, oh my goodness, you don't know what's going on. That is, that's it. Oh, thank you, thank you, Lord, that you spoke that to me. That, that's a prophetic word. So it could happen that way. It could happen as you're, you're in a, a group of people, and there you are. And again, you're, um, you know, you're not letting anybody know what's going on in your heart, but then suddenly somebody across the room, they feel this, this um, intense sense like they've got to speak out a, a passage. And they do it. And again, that word comes to you. So that's how prophecy comes. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge are very similar to prophecy. Word of wisdom gives the right solution to a perplexing problem. A word of knowledge gives information about uh, something that people couldn't... Um, know humanly. They just suddenly, they know something about you or they know something about your situation. And in that, God is bringing a word to you, a word of hope and encouragement. Now, again, with, with these particular manifestations, as we will call them here today, uh, like I said, I don't think anybody has uh, the permanent uh, ability to exercise these things. In other words, if somebody has experienced that gift of prophecy, I, can't, I couldn't walk up to them and say, hey, would you prophesy to me right now? You see, because the prophecy is going to come according to the will of God, and it's going to come at the, the chosen moment that God has. Years ago, um, before I was married to Cheryl, um, we, 
a, a bunch of us, uh, you know, we were all young. We were all young in the faith. We were excited. We were having prayer meetings and Bible studies and gatherings and worship and, you know, all kinds of things were happening. And we were experiencing, the, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. We were open to all of that. And Cheryl, although she wasn't initially part of this group of people that I was involved in, um, she was connected with other mutual friends and so forth. And, and it was kind of known that she had this gift of a word of knowledge, that she would occasionally just have these things where God would show her something and she would just know something that she otherwise couldn't have known. Now that got sort of blown out of proportion and distorted to Cheryl can read your mind. So watch out when you're around her. So I'll never forget, we were having a, a gathering one night and we heard that Cheryl was gonna come and everybody's like, oh, oh no, she's gonna read my mind. I wonder, oh my, what's gonna happen? You know, and well, it, that's not what it is. So she doesn't do that, can't do that, never has done that. But she definitely has had times over the years where God has ministered through her this, this gift of a word of knowledge where she just suddenly has some knowledge from the Lord that she could not otherwise have. I, I remember this happening a few times, and, and it's really kind of interesting. It happened in connection with England. Now, some of you might have seen, if you're on social media, I posted that yesterday was 20 years ago to the day that my family and I arrived in London to pastor the church there. So it was sort of a nostalgic day yesterday, and, and today uh, happens to be the day that uh, Tim Chaddock uh, started his uh, new fellowship in London, uh, Reality Church of London, and so it was all kind of a, uh, a London weekend for me. But uh, I remember back in 1980. Two, I think it was, um, no, it was eight, no, it was probably 80, no, no, it was like 84. It was back in 1984. Cheryl uh, had gone on a trip with uh, her parents to England. Chuck was speaking at a, uh, some conference or something there. And Cheryl and my oldest daughter, Kristen, they went with uh, her parents. And I stayed home with my only other child at the time, uh, Char. He was young. And um, so we stayed home and they went and they, they did their thing and okay, it was all good. So they came home from the trip and just randomly, Cheryl looks at me and she says, the Lord spoke to me in London that you're gonna go to London someday and you're gonna preach in that city. And I just looked at her and thought, wow, that's crazy. And that was the end of it. That's all I thought. Wow, that's crazy. But she had that kind of experience when she was there. Some years later, so that was probably 1984, uh, around 1992-93, we were thinking about making a change. I was pastoring uh, the church in Vista at that time, and we were kind of feeling like maybe we were supposed to do something different. And there was the, uh, Pastor Chuck had asked us to come back up here and, and work with him even way back then. And I was telling Cheryl, 
that I had had a conversation with her dad and she, at that time, she just did not want to live in Orange County again. So she was a little bit upset. Like, I am not moving back to Orange County. No way, never, it's not going to happen. And so we had a little bit of a disagreement there for just a brief moment. Just one of the very few that we've had over the years. And, and then all of a sudden she says this, she looks at me and she says, you know what I think we're going to do now? This is like almost 10 years later. And we've never had any more conversation after her little uh, word from 1984. I think you're going to go to London. We haven't had ever, ever had another discussion about it. So she looks at me and she says, you know what I think we're going to do? I go, no, what are we going to do? And she said, we're going to go to England and you're going to pastor a church in England. And when she said that, it was so weird. It was so off the wall. I thought, maybe that's true because this is just so random. It's just so strange. But it was true. It was a word of knowledge. God had showed her in advance some of, the, some of these things. So um, anyway, I'm trying to just give you a little bit of an understanding of, of what these gifts are like and how they, how they work. So that, as, as you would agree, I think, that's very supernatural. That's not, uh, there wasn't anything natural about that. That was very like weird. Wow, where did that come from? So those are the first Corinthians 12 gifts, if we want to call them that, manifestation, if we want to call them that. But I want to go back to the Romans 12 gifts because I want to talk more about these gifts that are supernatural, but they manifest themselves in a more natural fashion. Because this is... Uh, this is the way, and these gifts, I believe, are the permanent possession of those who receive them. Where the other ones, I think, you know, come and go. There might be more of a frequency with some people, uh, more so than others. But with these gifts, they're permanent. God gives them to you, and they remain with you. And they seem natural, but yet, behind the scenes, they are supernatural. So, Here's the question. How do I discover those gifts? How do I know if, you know, what, what gift I possess? Now, let me go back to the other gifts for a second, the more supernatural ones. The supernatural ones are, are discovered and experienced uh, spontaneously, and they are experienced by faith. You, you have a sense that God is moving you to pray for somebody, to speak something to somebody, something like that. And by faith, you respond, you do it. And that's how those gifts function. These gifts are different, like I said, because they're, they're not so much spontaneous, they're, they're a permanent thing. So how do I know what my gift is? That's, that's the big question. A lot of people have that question. A lot of people, they... They think about just the whole possibility and they think, I, I know, I want to have gifts. I want to be engaged, but I don't know what they are. So how do we find out what they are? Well, there's, there's four things. And the first is um, inclination. Inclination. Sometimes you identify your gift simply by inclination. This is what you are inclined to do. Like I said earlier, you just kind of naturally gravitate toward this. And you realize, maybe not at the time that you're doing it, but you realize 
that, wow, this, this is actually something that God has gifted me to do. It's, it's a natural inclination, so you're not thinking of it so much maybe initially as a gift from God, but as time goes on you and you see the fruit of it, you realize it is a gift from God, but it's inclination. So my question to you as you uh, consider what gift it is you might have, my question to you is, well, what are you inclined to do? What, what do you feel led to do? What, what do you just sort of naturally uh, uh, gravitate toward when it comes to service to Christ? And that's one of the ways that we discover what our gifting is. Now, think of the, the things that Paul mentions here. So some people have just an, an inclination, like I said earlier, towards service. They just, they, they serve. And it's not uh, a burden to them in the sense that they're, oh gosh, I wish I didn't have to do this. But no, they're, they're just inclined to do it. They, they recognize there's a need and the need needs to be met. And I'm here to meet the need. I, I just, you know, I feel inclined toward it. I have an aptitude for it. I'm, I have an ability to do what needs to be done. So they just almost seemingly naturally step in and serve in that way. But then we've got teaching. You know, some people are just, they're inclined toward instruction. They're going to come alongside. They're going to see somebody who doesn't quite know, uh, you know, how to walk in this way or whatever. And they're going to come alongside with that instruction for them. That's their, their gifting. They're, they're able to just make it clear, to give clear instruction, to help people move forward. But then exhortation or encouragement. You know, there, there are those, again, it, it, sometimes it just seems so natural where you, just, you tend to just come alongside and you just put your arm around somebody and you, you're just an encouragement to them. But you find that that is really, although it seems very natural, it's actually very supernatural because the impact is life-changing many times. You know, God, I, I believe that, you know, God has gifted me in, in that area over the years. I cannot tell you how many people will tell me uh, something that I said to them that just impacted their lives. And they will tell me, this happens to me fairly often. Somebody recently said to me, um, you know, you told me something that changed my life. And do you remember 20 years ago, this is what you said? And I'm like, you can remember something I said 20 years ago? I can't remember something I said 20 minutes ago. This is amazing. So you know it was supernatural. You know it obviously really impacted them because, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're still going on that word of encouragement that came to them 20 years earlier. So that's the kind of thing that we're talking about there. Giving uh, with, with, with liberality, or as we read in the NLT, generously. Some people are just, they're, they're, they're givers. God's gifted them in that way. And then leading and mercy and, and all of these things. So the inclination is there. So that's number one. But secondly, I want to say, too, that there's also something to be said about desire. See, sometimes it's desire that's the thing that will identify our gift for us. Because Paul tells us that God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So before we do it, he puts his will in our hearts to do it. 
And sometimes that's how I identify the gift. I, I, I just have a desire to do that. So in thinking about your gifts and discovering them, one of the ways to discover them would be for you to just answer this question. What do I want to do? Because it very well could be the thing you want to do is the very thing that God is calling you to do. And that's why you want to do it, because God has put it in your heart to do that. I'll never forget over the years hearing Pastor Chuck talk about the, um, you know, back, back in the days when he was living in Huntington Beach, and he, the, the way things had normally gone is he would be at a church for a few years. He would preach through all the sermons he had. By the time he got to the end of the sermons, it was time. That's how you knew it was time to go find a new church uh, back in those days. But he lived in Huntington Beach, and he could walk to the pier and body surf every day with his buddies. And he was getting to the end of his sermon series, and he didn't want to leave. So what was he to do? Well, crazy enough, it was through his desire to remain in Huntington Beach that he began to consider maybe there's another way to go about pastoring and teaching. And it was through that process that he discovered what it was uh, expositional teaching through the Bible. So you didn't have to just have, you know, um, 52 sermons that you work yourself through throughout the year, but you have all the books of the Bible that you go through. And so he started to, to understand that, and he started to teach that way, and that, that kept him in Huntington Beach for a number of years after that. But my point is this. The desire, what was his desire? His desire was to stay in Huntington Beach. But the bigger picture of God's desire was for him to transition out of this uh, preaching that he was doing previously into a whole other way of uh, teaching the Bible. Now, we often think that if we desire something and it's appealing to us, then it's obviously not God's will, right? Don't we think that way a lot? That's because we're twisted sinners because we somehow think that our loving Heavenly Father only wants to uh, bless us with misery in this life. No, he doesn't. And he will oftentimes put it right into our hearts, the desire to do something. And we, we just think that that would be so great. Um, since it's a London weekend for me, I'll just keep talking about London. But I remember back uh, years before I ended up ever going to London, and I never even connected these things with Cheryl's words of knowledge. But, but I uh, spent a lot of time over the years reading uh, British preachers, their commentaries, their, their biographies, and all of those kinds of things, very impacted by uh, British Christian leaders from previous generations. And I remember reading through the, the two-volume set of um, Martin Lloyd-Jones' biography, and I, I'll never forget reading through the description of his his congregation there in London. And it was a multi-ethnic, and it was a multicultural. It was uh, a lot of students and older people, and it was just this wonderful blend. It was people from all around the world and all over Britain and all that. And I remember reading that, and I remember thinking to myself, man, I would love to do something like that. 
I would love to be in a place where you had all of these different nations and people from all of the nations. I love that stuff. So I was like, I would just love that if I could be in a place like that. So when the time came and the call became clear that God wanted me to go to London, all of that was already there. All of that desire was there already. So you see, it was, it was my desire uh, that moved me in the direction, but God had put the desire in my heart already because he, he knew what he was going to do. He had that plan. So inclination, desire, affirmation is another way we discover our gifting. And affirmation is that people around you are going to affirm you in your gift. People around you are going to say, you know what? You really have a gift for this. Sometimes it might even be that person that identifies it. You might not even see it. I can't tell you how many people I've met over the years who have not identified their gift. I've seen it in them before they knew exactly what it was. I've said to many people over the years, hey, I think God has given you the gift for this. And they're like, really? Do you think so? Why do you think that? Well, let's look at it. You're doing this here and that's happening over there and look at the outcome here. And then they realize, well, I think you're right. So affirmation will be another way that the gift is discovered. Someone will say to you, yes, you know, God is doing this. And then uh, the final point here would be demonstration. So demonstration would be the, f- the fruit of it. That yes, we, we bear witness. I, I know that there's a gift there because look at the outcome. Look at the fruit that comes from it. So the, the gift is, is being demonstrated by the fact that people are benefiting from it. So those four things, inclination, desire, affirmation, demonstration, those are all the ways that we discover our gifts. Now, as we discover our gifts, here's another important question. What is the context that we use them in? Now, this is where we come back to the whole purpose of our series. The whole purpose of our series is to talk about the value and the importance of this, you know, breaking down into uh, smaller groups throughout the church, the community life, um, the women's ministry, the men's ministry, wherever we have this possibility of, of, a, of a breakdown of a larger congregation into smaller units, this is where these kinds of things are, are cultivated and developed. Paul, again, in writing to the Corinthian church in chapter 14, verse uh, 26, Paul describes the activity of the early churches there. And now some, some people actually say that this is a criticism on the part of Paul, that he's sort of rebuking them for having too many things going on at church. And I could understand that if we thought church in Corinth looked like church here this morning. Listen to what he said. He said, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. And then he adds this, let all things be done for edification. Now, if I interpret this passage 
in the context of what we have here today, yes, this does not work. This is gonna be a problem. This is gonna be confusing. If we came here this morning and everyone had a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, um, it wouldn't work. It, it couldn't work. But we have to go back to the context, the original context. These churches were not mega churches. These were not large buildings with hundreds or thousands of people in them. These, for the most part, were small, probably home churches, or there might have occasionally been a, a facility that was rented as space. But for the most part, when you read the letter to the Corinthian church, it wasn't one big building in the center of Corinth that was the, the church of Corinthia. It was these numbers of churches spread out through the community, probably most of them meeting in homes. So if you understand it in that sense, it, it makes much more sense, and it's obviously much more doable. So when you come together with a group of eight or 12 or 16 or maybe 20 people or something like that, and then everybody's making a contribution and so forth, you see, okay, this, this will work. You see, that's why we need to do that. Because as we've been talking about all the way through, this is more what body life looks like from the New Testament standpoint. And so we have got to incorporate this into our experience as a church if we're going to be more like the New Testament, which is what we ought to want to be like. But I think also ultimately, if we're gonna really experience the kind of, uh, life experiences that God wants us to have together, it's going to happen in those smaller contexts. So that when we do come together, we can all begin to exercise those gifts. Now, I'm not saying that none of these gifts are exercised uh, as we gather on Sundays or as we gather on Wednesdays as it is, but you know that we could not do what's being described here in this room right now. We couldn't do it. If, if I just said, okay, we're, we're just gonna open it up for prophecy. Somebody in the back corner over there might have a word, but everybody over here has no idea. They can't even hear it. And if they do hear it, it's just a mumble. It's like, wow, I wonder what that was. You know, or you know, any of, of these other things that are being talked about, they, they just can't happen in this context. So they need a, a smaller context for it to happen. So this is why we need to connect on a more personal level because it's in the context of community life that this kind of thing is most likely to develop. And we need to remember that the gifts cannot be experienced privately for our own personal benefit. See, that's not the purpose of the gifts. It's not for our own personal edification, although we will get edified as we exercise them. But really, the, the purpose of the gifts is for the edification of the whole body. It's for the building up of the body. So listen, here's the way it works, and this is amazing. Because as we, as we reduce ourselves into more manageable um, kinds of settings as we put ourselves in places where we can start to cultivate and develop those gifts, we get the blessing there in that community itself because they're experiencing the God's gifts right there. 
course, we get the benefit of the love and everything that develops in a smaller group as well. But then here's the key to the larger congregation. When we start experiencing this and growing in this and cultivating this, then when we come all together like we are today, when we come together, you see, we've been exercising ourselves in the gifts. We've been growing and developing. So what happens is this larger gathering automatically gets smaller. It automatically gets smaller because relationships are then being built on the smaller level, but then we're coming back together. So I come together and I see my group of 12 people maybe that I meet with on Tuesday night in somebody's home somewhere. But then, and so I connect with them, but then people from my group, they know this other group over here. And so they connect. And then that group knows this group and they connect. And so pretty soon we're all connecting with each other like we're supposed to. And all of the different members of the body are starting to function. And because you're in the environment where you get to exercise the gift and cultivate the gift, the gift develops and grows strong, and then it becomes a benefit and a blessing for the larger body. You see, the ideal situation is this in a large church. You want a large church that feels like a small church. Uh, uh, the, the large church feeling, which is a lot of isolation, a lot of disconnection, you know, people coming in just a face in the crowd, that is not the biblical description of a church. That's a biblical description of a seminar, maybe, or, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's got a big auditorium full of people listening to a lecture or something like that. But no, uh, the definition of a church is life and, and connection. So we need to make a large church feel like a small church. And as we do that, we will be functioning more and more like what God intended. So that's why I am really encouraging you and taking the time to do this series to say, uh, get plugged in. Don't let this... Uh, you know, go in one ear and out the other. Don't think, well, yeah, that's good for some people, but, you know, I don't need that or I don't want that or I'm too shy for that or whatever. Put all of that stuff aside and really get engaged because you're going to benefit tremendously from it and the overall uh, growth and health of the body is going to increase. And listen, now is the time for the church. I just really, really believe we're at a critical time in our culture's uh, life and our nation's history. And, and here is a moment for the church to shine. You know, what do we have out in society right now? We just have a bunch of uh, division. The country is fractured. There's the racial tension. There's all of these kinds of things going on. There's just the anger and, the, and all of that. That's happening in the culture, right? You know, the church has to be a different thing. If some people look on at the church and we just look like that one side of the country or that one group, then we are failing miserably. Whatever side you're looking at, it, we're failing miserably. The church is to be a different thing, a distinct thing, where people are able to look on and say, well, you know, the, those Christians over there, they don't seem to have those problems among them. I look at that church and I see, I see all kind of diversity. I see all different races coming together. I, I see people loving each other. I see people helping each other. I see people caring about each other. I see people building each other up. See, that's what people are supposed to see when they look into the church. And so it's a, it's a golden 
opportunity for us right now to shine. It is, uh, you know, there, there's kind of strategic times in history where the church has opportunities. And sadly, many times the church misses the opportunity. God help us not to miss this opportunity. We need to show forth the distinction, the clear distinction between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdoms of men. And we've got a great uh, moment to do it in these days. So, but, but it's going to take all of us working together and cultivating our gifts and developing our gifts and doing that in that, in that context where we're loving each other. And that, you know, there's so many things that can happen in that smaller context. But then, like I said, as we all come back together, and as we bring those things now, having exercised those gifts, and as we bring them together, and then as we go out the doors into the courtyard, or as we're over here, or even making our way out to our cars eventually, or whatever, then there's still all kinds of potential ministry and edification that can be taking place. So as we close, here it is. If you don't know your gift, it's real simple. Pray and ask God to show you. Pray and ask God to show you. He will show you. Then as he begins to show you, you step into that place and you begin to use that gift. And like I said, go with your inclination. Just go, go with that inclination. You've been inclined towards something, but you've been holding back. You don't know if you should. Go for it. Step into it. You've been wanting to do something, but you don't know. If, I don't know if I should or not. Go for that, that thing you want to do. Step into it. You see, there is that, that faith element that is uh, part of this whole thing. Go with uh, those things that others have affirmed in your life. Some people have said to you, hey, you know what? I really believe that you have a gift and a calling here. And you've sort of thought, oh, I don't know about that. You know what? Embrace that. Receive that. And go with that. Paul said to Timothy, he said, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Listen, if God's given you a gift, which he has, you know what he expects? He expects you to use it. God does not give us gifts in order for us to set them on the shelf and admire them. Oh, look at that gift God gave me. Isn't that sweet? No, God wants us to use those gifts. So Paul says to Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you. He says to him on another occasion, Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. Timothy was obviously somewhat timid about his gifting to the point seemingly where he might have neglected it a bit. Paul said, Timothy, don't neglect it. Stir it up. And the literal translation of stir it up is fan it to full flame. God has given you a gift. He wants you to fan it to full flame. And as each one of us fan to full flame that gift that God has given us, you know what we're going to have? We're going to have a big old fire a big old Holy Ghost fire that's going to radiate out and brighten up everything and be a beacon to people out there who need hope and need answers and need love and need care and all those things. That's, that's what the church is to be. So God help us to um, discover our gift and to function in it. So Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought us into your family. And Lord, forgive us for even though we're part of the family, forgive us for being isolated so often. Forgive us for uh, not attending the family functions and just being over by ourselves. 
uh, doing our own thing. Lord, help us to really engage. And Lord, I pray for everyone uh, here today, everyone listening, Lord, that as they seek you for clarity on what you've given to them as far as the giftings go, Lord, may they just receive from you the confirmation, Lord. May they go with that inclination. May they go with that affirmation. Lord, may they go with that desire. And Lord, may you be honored and magnified through your body as we function together, each part doing what it was designed to do for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.